we are going to begin a new series in the book of Galatians. Uh, I'm super pumped about this. My wife told me after first service, Steve, you need to slow down. You were way too excited about that. So that's running in my head. I'm trying to slow down here. But we're going to talk about this phrase that we've been mentioning for a while. This phrase that you see in this triangle, Jesus plus nothing equals everything. Uh, Earlier this week, we almost had a completely different series because Dan, our creative director, was going to write up on the board, Jesus plus everything equals nothing, which would be an entirely different sermon series, but we, we love this phrase, Jesus plus nothing equals everything. We think there's a lot of truth in it. And so when you hear that phrase, what do you think of? That's a, that's a profound, what do you think of when you hear that phrase? It's important for us to know how to answer that. Sometimes as Christians, I'm guilty of this. We can say these like cliche things that we just say and we don't fully understand. Like, hey, you gotta let, you gotta, you gotta let go and let God. Like, I've been said that before. I, I know that I've said that to people and I don't know if I fully understand what that means, let alone the people that I'm telling it to. Do they really know what it means? And so when we see a phrase like Jesus plus nothing, we wanna talk about it. When somebody comes up to you and says, hey, your church is kind of talking about this phrase. I saw it. Uh, Jesus plus nothing equals everything. What, what does that mean? We want you to be able to answer that question. Uh, so in understanding that phrase, what we'll what, what hopefully walk into is that when you understand that phrase, it's going to create for us some really good theology that is good, right, and proper for your faith to grow, but also for salvation, not just for yourself, but for the world around us. And so Galatians is going to speak much to us about that understanding. And so today, what we want to do is simply walk through an overview of the book of Galatians to give some background, some information that is going to be helpful for us in our future conversations uh, in in the topics that we're going to cover in this book. Uh, We're going to deal with the five W's, the who, what, when, where, and why. Here, listen, my heart is this. I want to ground everything that we say and everything that we do in some specific historical events. Because you have to understand that the Bible is not a myth. It's not made up. These aren't just made up people. But we have actual people in actual time with archaeological evidence. These are profound stories, and we're going to ground them in Scripture. So we're going to answer the, the who, what, when, where, and why of, of this book for deeper understanding. So let's just go ahead and start with the who's. The who's in this book. You've got the guy named the Apostle Paul. That's Paul's best picture. This is his best side. I found it. Uh, he's, he goes by the name Saul before he converts to Christianity. So there's, if you've ever heard of a guy named Saul, long, there's two Sauls. There's a king named Saul. Uh, we talked about him. He's not a good king. But there's also a guy named Saul that's this guy. He's going to turn into a guy named Paul because of the way that Jesus shows up in his life. He's one of the central figures in this book. He's the writer of this letter. Sometimes you may hear the word epistle. Epistle means letter in Greek. So if you ever hear the epistle of of Galatians, it means letter. Paul, without argument, somebody, you could argue with me. I would have a really good uh, argument here, but he's, he's maybe the most influential Christian that's ever lived. Our New Testament, which is the books from Matthew to Revelation, that's our New Testament, Paul has written somewhere in the neighborhood of two-thirds of that. Uh, So he's just prolific. And he's one of the central figures within this text in the book of Galatians because, well, he's the writer. And what's special about Paul, there's many things. One of the special things about Paul is that he is a devout and zealous Jew 
before his conversion. He's an, as Saul, as this man named Saul, he is devout and zealous towards his Jewish faith. He is mentored by a guy named Gamaliel. It's a lot of Gamaliel. I had to work on that pronunciation a couple times this week. Gamaliel is a rock star in the teaching world in Judaism. He is one of, if not the best teachers in all the annals of Judaism. It would be like having Michael Jordan take your child from four years old and just live with him and deal with him in basketball terms all the way up to his teenage. That he's a monumental figure. Paul is trained by him. Paul is highly trained. He is the dude. He, if there is, there's nobody more Jewish than Paul. Nobody more Jewish than Paul. And he knows it. He knows it. Paul writes this about himself. Sometimes people think Paul's arrogant because he talks about himself, but he's not. He's just telling the facts. This is what Paul has to say about himself in Philippians. He says, though I myself have reason for confidence in the flesh also, if anyone else thinks he has reason for confidence in the flesh, I have more. Circumcised on the eighth day of the people of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews, as to the law, a Pharisee as to zeal, which means that he followed it, he loved it, a persecutor of the church, and as to righteousness under the law, as far as my actions and what I do, I'm blameless. He's a hero here. He is one to look up in the ells of Judaism. He also goes on in the book of Galatians to say this about himself. And I was advancing in Judaism beyond my, many of my own age among my people. So extremely zealous was I for the traditions of my father. So we just got straight prodigy here. Just straight prodigy. Paul is outgrowing the people in his age group. He is just the man. And so as far as orthodoxy and devoutness, you're not going to find anybody else as good as Paul. But here's the thing. As Saul... He despises the church and Jesus and the early leaders. And he, as a Jew, before his conversion to Christianity, persecutes and kills Christians. But what happens? We know that Paul, on his way to a town called Damascus, meets the resurrected Savior. And his life is changed because he believes that Jesus Christ is exactly who he says he was. His life is changed. And to mark that conversion, his name changes from Saul into Paul. He's the Apostle Paul. And he's prolific. He is one of, if not the main person within this text. Um, and he's going to preach the gospel that Christ gave to him wherever he's at. He's inspired and moved by the gospel. Another player is Peter. This is Peter. Uh, Peter in Aramaic is Cephas. All right, so if you're reading Galatians, you're going to read the name Cephas, and you're going to re read Peter. They're the same person. Cephas is Peter in Aramaic. Peter is obviously an early follower of Jesus. He's one of the early disciples. He's not as educated as Paul. He's a mere fisherman, which is good news for us. Right? We're not, I'm not as educated as Paul, but Jesus doesn't look at us and qualify us by our knowledge. He qualifies him by himself, by him. He wants to use us. He's going to use us. And so Peter, despite his lack of education compared to Paul, is just as impactful. Right? 
Peter is told that Jesus is going to build the church on him. Peter means rock or stone, and Jesus is going to do lots of things through Peter. And here's what happens in Galatians, and it happens in other places, but Paul and Peter can butt heads from time to time because they have the same calling in their lives, but they have different missions. And we're going to talk about those different missions from Peter to Paul in weeks ahead. Another group of people that are entering into the book of Galatians is maybe a phrase that you've not heard before, but we have Judaizers. These are Jewish Christians, all right? These are Jewish Christians that we find in the area of Galatia. They are Jews with traditional backgrounds that believe in the resurrection of Christ. They believe Christ is the Savior, and they make much of his name, but they believe that salvation comes from faith in Christ plus obedience to the Torah. And so they, they are in this book. They're going to cause some havoc because they believe not just that Jesus Christ was risen from the dead in grace alone and faith alone through Christ alone, but they also believe that you have to follow the Mosaic law. Uh, 613 rules. And I didn't say this about Paul, but this is, this is the incredible thing about Paul. Paul would have memorized the entire Torah. All the five books of your Old Testament, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Deuteronomy, uh, Numbers, memorized those. He would have also memorized the rest of the Tanakh, which is the wisdom, scriptures, Proverbs, and Psalms, the, the prophets like Ezra and Daniel, and some of the history books memorized them in his head. And he would have known and memorized all of those 613 laws. Not only memorized them, but was dutifully dedicated to following every single one of them. So these Judaizers want people to follow the law as a means of salvation. They're going to add Jesus plus this and this and this. And then the last group of people that we find in this book is the Church of Galatia. I don't think that was what their church looked like. I just drew it up that way. Uh, but we have the Church of Galatia. Uh, they're an interesting group of, of people. We call them the Galatians. There are multiple church in the area of Galatia. Uh, this letter was written to all of them. And here's what would have happened. Paul would have wrote this letter, and there's a guy named Titius. Titius would have taken this letter, and he would have walked it, or ran it. I don't know how he got there, but he got to Galatia, and he would have taken it to the church. They would have read it out loud to the congregation, and then most likely they would have made copies of that letter by hand. All right? There's no printing presses or copy machines, so they would have written it down, and then Titius would have taken that copy that Paul wrote, and he would have gone to the next church, and the next church, and the next church, and then he would have retraced his steps backwards. So this is the church of Galatia. Um, they are a Roman province. They're a Roman province. So let's, I'll just kind of show you where they're located. If you think of modern-day Turkey, the, the area of Galatia is right in the center of Turkey. I timed that really well. That came up right when I wanted it to. Uh, in modern-day Turkey, uh, these are an eclectic group of people. They were established as a province in 25 BC by the Roman Emperor Augustus. Province, here's where they came from. So these Galatians are actually Celts. They're Celtic. And, and not the Celtic, you may think of the jig, that kind of jig, Celtic jig, and uh, maybe from Scotland or Ireland. Uh, but they're actually, the Celts originate from Central Europe in the area of France and Germany, Austria and Switzerland. I'm nerdy about history, guys. So, I, you know, I love history because it grounds everything for me. So they're right from there. And then in about 20, uh, I should say 275 BC, there was a migration of Celtic people into the area of Turkey. Uh, and, and they began to live there and they were Hellenized, which means 
uh, they were Grecian eyes. I just made that word up. I do that a lot. So uh, they were they were they were uh, they were kind of Greek in their beliefs. So there was. Uh, multiple gods. They believed in the god of Apollos and Zeus. And then something interesting happens around 225 BC. Uh, Jewish families begin to colonize this area in Turkey. So there's families that leave the area of Jerusalem and they head up to modern day Turkey and they begin to live in the area. And so what you're setting up in this book of Galatians, you've got two distinct different cultures. You've got a pagan religion uh, outside of uh, Jewish Christian faith. The Bible would talk about uh, any other religion being paganism. And then you've got Judaism, right? And they don't always match up. And that's going to cause some conflict. And we're going to see that in the book of Galatians. So when? When did this happen? Well, Paul is converted 33, 36 A.D., he heads out from Antioch in 44 AD and goes on this first mission to Cyprus, and then he gets up into Galatia, and then the blue line, he kind of retraces his steps and back into Antioch. So that's kind of a two-year expedition from Paul. Paul writes this book of Galatians somewhere between 48 AD and 56 AD, just depending on which travel you think Paul wrote it or after. All right, so that's kind of the win. Now, I will say this, the earliest copy that we have the earliest copy that we have literally in our hands is P46. Talked about P46 during Easter, dates from around 175 AD, and unfortunately, again, it is housed at the worst university in the world, the University of Michigan. I have made my thoughts known about the University of Michigan. It's the only good thing out of the University of Michigan. Anyways, so let's talk about the what. What is happening here in Galatia? What's going on? Uh, it's going to be something that Paul is a... He's, He's, he's ticked about, and we know that by the way he starts the letter, the way that he addresses this church. If you were to read the other letters to the churches, like the, their church in Corinth, and Ephesus, and Philippi, and Thessalonica, uh, maybe missing one, in the church of Roman, uh, the Roman church, you would see Paul writing this greeting and some sort of doxology, and some thankfulness. He would essentially say, hey, good to see, good to rewriting to you guys. I hope that you guys are well. We are so thankful for you. We're hearing all sorts of good stuff coming out from your area. Praise God to you. Praise God for what you're doing. We don't see that in the book of Galatians. It's a different tone. He starts out the letter this way. We'll take note of this. Paul says, he says in Galatians 1, he says, Paul, an apostle, he's going to defend himself right off the bat. Paul, an apostle sent not from men, nor by a man, but by Jesus Christ and God the Father, who raised him from the dead, and all the brothers and sisters with me, to the churches in Galatia, grace and peace to you from God our Father. The Lord Jesus Christ, who gave himself for our sins to rescue us from the pre present evil age, according to the will of our God and Father, to whom be glory forever and ever. Amen. In scene, change tone. I am astonished that you have so quickly deserted the one who called you to live in the grace of Christ and are turning into a different gospel, which is really no gospel at all. Evidently, some people are throwing you into confusion and, and trying to pervert the gospel of Christ. Paul takes a very aggressive tone. Hello, it's me, Paul. I'm not sent by a man. Let's remember this. I'm sent by Christ. He begins to defend himself right off the bat, and then he says, I'm astonished. I am astonished. He's a bit miffed right here. It's like, hey, guys, what's going on? He's kind of correcting them 
in the same way that you might correct somebody uh, one day to say, hey, look, I put stuff in the refrigerator and I write my name on it. I aim to eat that stuff. And only to find the next day that your friend Bill is in there eating your shrimp scampi. And you're like, what is going on? We've talked about this. This is kind of how Paul is addressing the Galatians. He's a little bit taken back with how quickly they've moved away from what he has taught him. He taught them. And so in this book, what you're going to find is Paul is blunt, he's direct, and he's brief. He sets a different tone. He's blunt, he's direct, and he's brief about what's going on in the church. And so here is what is going on in a big kind of airplane view if we're looking down on the book of Galatians. After Paul leaves Galatia and he heads home, there are some Jewish Christian missionaries, Judaizers, Judaizers, that come into the area and they begin to stir up controversy amongst the Gentile Christians. And Gentile Christians are you and I, those who are not Jewish but came to faith in Christ. They begin to stir up some controversy in this area. And there are two areas that we see these teachings and sayings camped into. And we're going to talk about those two different groups. The first group is dealing with issues of justification. Justification is a big word. Justification means how somebody comes to the saving knowledge of Christ and how somebody stays in the saving knowledge of Christ. Justification. What have you been justified by? It's a battle between works versus the faith. Works versus faith in Christ. Now, in this series... We're going to get about an inch wide and a mile deep in this term of justification. We really want to paint an accurate picture of what the means of salvation are and what keeps us grounded in Christ. We want to go really, really deep in that. What Paul is concerned about is there are two things that these Judaizers are adding to the gospel of Christ, the truth of Christ. We're going to get into the gospel as well and kind of really define the gospel in a very deep way. Paul is concerned. He is vehemently detesting these things that they're adding to the gospel. And there are two things that these Judaizers are wanting to add. Number one is circumcision. That you can't be a follower of Christ if you're not circumcised. And circumcised just represents removal of flesh. If you were a Jew in this time... You were circumcised. It was your identity. The Jewish religion is a, an identity of, it's, a, it's a, a religion of identity. It's a religion of identity that you were born a chosen person uh, by God and you would be circumcised to show that. If you weren't circumcised, you, ha- you weren't in. And, and, and the, second, the second thing that they want to add to this is Torah obedience or following those 613 Mosaic laws. And so they're coming in with a gospel that says Jesus Christ uh, was raised from the grave. He's brought us to new life. Uh, he died on the cross for our sins. I got that backwards. But, but also, look, you have to follow these things for that salvation to hold. Paul is not happy about it because it's not the gospel that God inspired in him. It's not the gospel that God changed him with. It's not the gospel that he's preaching now, and it's not the gospel he was preaching before that, and it's not the gospel he teaches us in his written word today. And so Paul is a little bit miffed about people going around saying things that aren't true. The second category that we're going to lump in these kind of teachings and sayings from the Judaizers is that they're speaking against Paul directly. Their aim is to disqualify Paul. And their tactics uh, kind of come in three different areas. The first is they're going to try to disqualify Paul as an apostle. They're going to try to disqualify him as an apostle. If we remember Paul's history as Saul, he was not kind to the church. He was brutal. 
persecuted and killed Christians, people have a hard time with Paul. And they're going to leverage that and try to disqualify him as an apostle. And they're going to use Peter in this. They're going to try to triangulate Peter against Paul. And we know that because the amount of time that Paul spends defending himself and speaking about his relationship with the other apostles. This is what he says in Galatians, in Galatians 2. He spends a lot of time defending himself. He says in Galatians 2, 9, And when James and Cephas, remember that's Peter, and John, who seemed to be pillars, perceived the grace that was given to me, they gave the right hand of fellowship to Barnabas and me, that we should go to the Gentiles and they to the circumcised. Those are the two different missions these two people have, Peter and Paul. We're going to talk about that. Only they asked us to remember the poor, the very thing I was eager to do. And so Paul is saying that, that look, there is no contention between me and those pillars, between John and James and Peter. They agreed that I was called by God to be a minister of his gospel. And they agree with the message that I am teaching, the inspired message of the gospel. They extended to me the right hand. In fact, this is what I love about Paul. He's blunt and he's bold. He even goes on to oppose Peter, who he believes is living differently than the gospel. This is what he talks to Peter about in Galatians 2. He talks about Peter, not to Peter. But when, he says this in 11, but when, when Cephas came to Antioch, I opposed him to his face because he stood condemned for before certain man came from James, he was eating with the Gentiles, which in the, just in the Jewish culture, those would be unclean people. You wouldn't associate with them. But when they came down, the people from James were very devout, religious Jewish people. When they came down, they, he drew back and he separated himself, fearing the circumcision party, and the rest of the Jews acted hypocritically along with him, so that even Barnabas, and Barnabas is a dude, man, was led astray by their hypocrisy. And so Peter is letting these kind of Jewish people dictate how he kind of responds to God's people. But when I saw that their conduct was not in step with the truth of the gospel, I said to Peter, Cephas, before them all, if you, though a Jew, live like a Gentile and not like a Jew, how can you force the Gentiles to live like Jews? So Peter is confused because he has dropped some of the ceremonial laws to interact with God's people in the Gentiles because he's seen the Holy Spirit in the Gentiles but when he sees these religious Jews come into his neighborhood, he backs away and then tries to force on the Gentile Christians regulations and rules that he himself is not even willing to live by. And so Paul, Paul's just like, don't challenge me, man. I've got a message. I've got a calling in my life. It's me and God, God in me, and I have a message, and that message is, is hope and salvation. And I'm not going to let anybody stand up against that truth, even if it's Peter. God has so thoroughly put it in my life. I'm not going to play games with you guys. You want to talk about credentials? You want to talk about lifestyle? You're going to be fools because it's me, Paul. And so he just lays it out there. That's what I love about Paul. He's not afraid to defend his, his credibility. And the other things that these Judaizers are going to try to do to attack Paul is they're going to challenge his concept of what the gospel of Christ is. That it's not whole. That it's lacking. 
And the third thing that they want to do is charge his doctrine, that gospel that he's preaching, that he's inspired, that it would lead to loose living, that it would lead to loose living, that the the gospel that Paul is so inspired to preach is too simple. That is way too simple. You need more regulations. You need more rules. You need more structure, or people are just going to go nuts. They're just going to live like they please and forget about God. And so that's the jest of the what is going on. And if you don't realize this yet, I'm way excited about this book, beyond excited about this book. I'm passionate about this because the gospel matters. The gospel matters and how it is communicated in the word matters because it leads us to a flourishing and a freedom of life when we understand its simplicity and its beauty. And so Paul is very blunt and he's very direct. And I'm going to tell you, there are going to be times that this may feel blunt and direct, but we're going to let scripture be scripture and we're going to be honest with what it says. Reality check for all of us. You and I need moments in our lives where somebody has the courage to stop us and to look us in the eye and challenge us. I need people in my life to say, Steve, what are you doing? What are you saying? Why are you doing those things? We need those moments in our lives. And the gospel, the gospel does that, but the book of Galatians is going to help us get moments like that in our lives. Reality checks on what we believe and why we believe it, because the gospel in its simplicity is beautiful. And so that's the what. I want to end our time today talking about the why. Why is it important? Why are we going through this book? Why are we teaching this now? Well, Galatians honestly comes out of concern for good theology, that you and I would be equipped to have a system and a lens to see God with, and to see the world with, that we would take this lens of understanding our theology of God and and, and judge what we see and what we hear and what we experience by that lens. And that lens needs to be solid and foundational. Good theology matters to the Lord. And so this comes from a place of wanting to teach good theology But listen, it also comes from concern in what we see in in our world. Uh, We are living in a time and place where our society uh, has grounded truth um, devoid of facts, physical realities, rationale, good logic. Uh, There's a growing portion of our culture that has moved to ground truth in um, emotionalism emotional self-constructs, as as I would say. That means this, is that we wouldn't see truth by um, logic, reasoning, physicality, but on how we feel and what we feel. And so we like to ground our truth in these internal kind of emotions. But we, as God's people, we know this. The Word says this to us, that the heart is wicked and deceitful. Nobody can understand it well. The heart is deceitful and wicked, and nobody can understand it well. There is a problem in listening to our emotions, because they're wrong sometimes. And when we talk about the heart, we're not talking about that, like, physical beating heart that I just mortal combat somebody with. Um, It's not that. The the, the heart is 
the internal, hidden, emotional, intellectual, uh, moral activity in us. That is what the Bible, when they talk about heart, that's what they're talking about. And we, as a culture, want to ground truth in that hidden, emotional, intellectual, moral area. And look, I'm not saying that we should just be idiots and, and not have knowledge and not question things. God has gifted us with incredible personalities. We've got some great people who are different than everybody else. I'm different than you. You're different than me. God has called you to be how he created you. He gave you a personality. He gave you gifts. There's nothing wrong with with that. But we just believe that we need to check our emotions and not try to build truth out of them. Can you imagine, and maybe this is why marriage can be difficult or maybe why we've had some issue, difficulties in marriage. Could you imagine being with your spouse and, and just grounding everything uh, truthful in what you feel? H- how's that going for you in your marriage? Like, I just wanted to watch the Masters like two weekends ago. How is that going to fly in my house? Not very good. We've got to have this capacity where we have humility to say, you know what, I feel that. That emotion deserves some validity. But I've got a question, is that true? Should I be feeling that? Is that emotion honest? Instead of trying to take that and build truths around it. And so that is why we're teaching it, some of this. But on the other swing of this, we've got people, because we're driven into this emotional truth world, we've got people who are kind of reverting to kind of bringing structure and law and regulation and saying, you need to escape that, and here's how you need to do it, A, B, C, D, E, F, G. All right, this is how you follow Christ. This is what you need to do. You need to do these things. And that is just as dangerous. That borders into legalism that robs us from the flourishing and the freedom of life. And so it's important for us to examine Galatians because it gives us such a good foothold on what Jesus Christ taught about his truth, about who he was, and about what he wants to do for us. And so um, when we see our culture gravitating towards one side or the other, grounding truth in emotional realities or trying to make some constructs that, that bring regulation and legalism, we, we should be concerned. Uh, we all should be concerned. Uh, but I, hear me in this. But we also believe that the Lord is the author of time and place. He's the author of time and place. You are alive today in Bluffton, Indiana, because God wants you here. This is not an accident. He has reasonings for you being here. And that reasoning is, is he wants to use you. He wants us to impact and shape culture. A lot of the times, you know, look, we read the news cycles. We see the things that are going on. And what we want to do is escape. We want to have this escapism in our faith where we just, if I can just hold on long enough, I'm going to get to heaven. Everybody circle up around me, protect me. The gospel of Christ does not lead to escapism. The gospel of Christ builds us, empowers us through the Holy Spirit to be culture changers. And I'm not talking about politics. I'm talking about being empowered in a way that we engage with people that we disagree with in love and gentleness, that we get messy in hard relationships, that we're not afraid of people and their beliefs because we have a God that so thoroughly loved us and so thoroughly gave us all that we need. And so when we teach about this, we, don't want, we, we, don't want, we want to get this idea of escapism out. I heard somebody say one time that I think it's our job as parents to get our kids to heaven. I just thoroughly disagree with that. We're salt and light. We've got the Holy Spirit of God in us. 
We are culture definers. We're not, a scare, we're not scaredy cats. We've got a God that's cosmic, huge, and mighty. I'm not going to be afraid. We don't have to be afraid because he's already won. He's already won. The victory's ours. And so that's part of the why. The other part of the why is if we would take a 30,000-foot view of the book of Galatians, what we would see is a group of people in these Gentile Christians who are reverting back to some common practices in Judaism because it makes it easier for them to live in that culture in that day. They feel a weight of shame and pressure because they're living in a certain way that culture does not accept, and they felt enough pressure to move and resort back to the status quo so they didn't stand out. Uh, we got all these people over here believing in grace, that God somehow trans scandalous cross that, that made it grace alone, by faith alone, through Christ alone. That's going to lead to loose living. And, just, and then they just came back because that was just too hard of a viewpoint to take. And so when I look at the overview of Galatians, I think that we have to look at that same lens ourselves. If we were to take a 30,000-foot view of ourselves in this culture, like the book of Galatians does, the Galatians, what do we disown in the gospel or add to the gospel or take away from the gospel because it makes it easier for us to live in this culture? Those are profound questions that we want to look at in this series. And so I'm just going to challenge you with these two questions as you guys leave here today. Two questions that I want you, you can write them down, you can memorize them, you can do nothing with them. But these are questions that I want you to begin to ask yourself. What do we do as Christians to pollute the gospel, to make life easier to live? What do you personally do? If you are going to, and, and I want you to, to answer these questions as we move through um, the six or seven weeks that we're in here. What do we do to pollute the gospel that makes it easier for us to live, like the Galatians did? And number two is, if, if the message of Christianity is true, God revealed himself to mankind through Jesus. Jesus died on the cross for our sins. He was raised from the dead. How do we as a culture, how do we add to this and how do we subtract to it? What are ways that we go about doing adding and subtracting this if, if you're going to think about our, our culture and, and, and different things that people kind of require add to the gospel? What would you say there or take away from the gospel? And so I'm pumped. Uh, here's my deal. Uh, I'm, I'm trying to be more direct with my prayers. So I'm praying that 100 people would be moved in their heart by the message of Paul in Galatians. Not, not like first-time commitment. That would be great. I'd love people to come to know Jesus. But that we would move to a place of refreshing in our understanding of the gospel that it would move you in your zeal, in your energy, and your dedication to the gospel. That you would come to understand this beautiful, simple gospel in a way that it would blow you away and free you to live the kind of flourishing life that the Lord has given to us. And so would you pray that with me? I'm just praying that 100 people, whether it be here or the people that would watch it online, we just want to be bold with our prayers here, and we're excited to see what God does. It's going to be a great series. Uh, who knows what the Lord wants to do, if it's six weeks, seven weeks, 14 weeks, 27 weeks, I don't know. We're going to do 27 weeks, but uh, we're just excited for it. Would you pray with me? Father, we just come before you today, and we just give you praise as a good God who gave to us a message that was so simple 
and so beautiful that we just can't even get our minds around it, that we've just been trying to add to it and subtract from it because it just goes beyond our senses. Will you help us just to have an understanding of that beautiful, simple gospel in a way that it frees us to live a life that is just robust? It's not I mean it's not hard, Lord. We know that we're going to suffer, we're going to struggle, but that we would have a faith that would be rock solid, that we'd be able to absorb the winds and the waves of people saying this and that about you, Lord, that we would be grounded and anchored in who you are. We love you, Lord, and we thank you for this church. We thank you for your hope. We thank you for your message. We thank you for Paul, who had the courage to write these things. And we praise you, Lord, as a resurrected Savior, who did for us what we could not. And we pray it in the name of Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen.